0: It all starts with a question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The disciples are asking, like, Jesus, you haven't exactly been clear yet, but we gave up so much to be following you. We'd really love some reassurance that this is all going to pay off when your kingdom is more fully realized. And today, as we do a quick walkthrough of Matthew chapters 18 to 20, the questions we hear will be signposts for us. So first, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? To answer, Jesus places a child in the midst of the group. Overlooked, disregarded, unimportant. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is one of those times in reading the Bible where if we layer on contemporary constructs like our view of children as precious and lovely little things, if we layer that on the scene, we'll miss what Jesus is doing. Children were not precious and prized. They were seen as half human, a nuisance. Greek is a gendered language, for example, meaning that there are masculine and feminine references for everything. Children, though, don't get a gendered reference. They were its, a neutral in Greek. This is not sweet to have a child in their midst. It's jarring. Be like them. Be like them. So this child becomes the representative of little ones, not just children, but anyone who's on the margins, anyone who's vulnerable to being cast aside. Jesus values them. Jesus goes on to say that as you encounter these people in the world, take special care of them. He uses a couple of pointed exaggerations to mark the seriousness with which he means the least are the greatest. The ones with zero status are the most prized. And it is in the midst of this that he tells the story of the lost sheep. Question two, Matthew eighteen twelve. What do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? Answer, no, no, he doesn't. That's a really silly thing for a shepherd to do. And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of your father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. Many of us in our group here have people that we love that live in a community called Atherton. That's where my grandparents lived until they died. It is a senior living facility that offers care all the way from independent living through hospice. Now, Curtis and I were there to visit my grandparents a few years back when he noticed a piece of art in the lobby of the shepherd with the sheep upon his shoulders. We had been separated at the time and we met back up. He had tears in his eyes because of the weight of God's regard for these elders, these little ones. Jesus values them. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's a concern for status raised by those who think they kind of deserve it. I'm a man. I'm a Jew. I'm rich. I'm following you. And Jesus will subvert the entire question, making the point that the kingdom is a place where status isn't merely irrelevant, something we maintain but look past. It's the group that upends it entirely, intentionally looking for people deemed lower in order to bring them in, raise them up. Here, their story of being found one in a hundred because the 99 didn't care they were lost, but thankfully the shepherd did. What do you think of my choice to care not one lick about status and instead focus on children, women, partiers, the cast aside? It starts with a child, expands to all little ones, and then in chapter 18, Jesus does a few things. First, he lays out a method to resolve conflict, That would upend status because anyone could just come to you and say, hey, we both belong to Jesus and you wronged me. Someone beneath you could just say that. After that, Jesus' parable focuses on the indebted, the ones who can't offer you anything. Next, it's women and how you're not supposed to just throw them aside willy-nilly with these divorces, which apparently is so hard to commit to that the men say, ah, shucks, better not get married then if that's how we're supposed to treat our wives. Then the children come again. And Jesus touches and blesses them. Then a rich guy comes. Question three. This is Matthew 19, 16. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? At the time, there weren't many rich people around. Most people were poor, which means he already benefits from people wanting his status to elevate their own and people deferring to his status in the community. And now he's asking, hey, when this kingdom arrives, which they expected to be soon and in Jerusalem. What do I gotta do to be on the benefit receiving end of that deal? Jesus replies, if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says five of the 10 commandments, and they are notably five of the six that deal with how we treat one another, not the first four about how we relate to God. And the man says, I've done that. So Jesus says, if you wish to be perfect, and to write renders the phrase, if you wish to complete the set, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. In Jesus's answer, I think we get a hint of, hey, you say you kept these, but you haven't. You may not have wronged people, but you haven't done right by them. You can't keep your status and enter this group that isn't going to even work on status at all. Verse 22, when the young man heard this word, he went away grieving for he had many possessions. The conversation leaves him discouraged because this new kingdom will not offer him any more of a boost than the current kingdom. In fact, this new kingdom doesn't even care about his stuff. This makes sense then of Peter's question. Question four. So that guy won't give anything up in order to receive the good of the kingdom, but we don't have to worry about that. And so Peter replies, look, we've left everything to follow you. What then will we have? Sacrifice must be the way to status, and we did that. So doesn't that give us something more to look forward to? And Jesus' answer is this combination. One, it'll be worth it. And many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. On the heels of the rich man and Peter's follow-up, Jesus tells the story of workers in a vineyard. Groups get hired at different times of the day so that some have worked the full day, some part of the day, and some just an hour. When it comes time for payment and everyone is given a full day's wage, the early arrivals are displeased and grumbling. And Jesus finishes the story with a question posed by the vineyard owner. Are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Matthew 20, 15 to 16. Question five. Are you envious because I am generous? Yes. Yes, I am. Because your generosity is so great that my status gets dissolved like a sugar cube in a cup of water. I am absolutely envious because you are generous. Because what does that mean? For all my stuff and my status. Finally, question six. It's asked twice. Jesus asked the same question to two different people. One of them is concerned about status and the other doesn't have any at all. Same question, but two very different conversations. Matthew 20, verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that is James and John, came to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one on your right hand, one on your left in your kingdom. In response, Jesus sums up all that we have strung together over these three chapters. Starting in verse 25, he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. It will not be so among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It will not be so among you. And the final story Matthew includes before pivoting to the final week of Jesus' life is this one. There were two blind men sitting by the roadside. When they heard Jesus was passing by, they shouted, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. The crowd sternly ordered them to be quiet, but they shouted even more loudly, Have mercy on us, Lord, Son of David! Jesus stood still and called them, saying, Question six, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Moved with compassion, for the blind, the For the little ones, for the cast off, for the lost, for the least. Moved with compassion for anyone whose need to be truly valued has been disregarded. Jesus values them. We walk through all of this today because although status markers change over time, the desire for status does not. It is tethered to a deeper true desire that we all have, to be valued. Jesus can meet that deeper need. He is moved with compassion over the ways people he made and loves are not valued. But status, all too often, is our armor to protect us from the vulnerability of acknowledging that we need to know we're valued. If I don't know I matter, status markers can protect me from that uncertainty. At least I can look or act or dress or speak the right way so that people treat me better. Because it's incredibly vulnerable. But we gain so much by giving up status. Without giving up status, for example... We can never take in the words of Christine Yee-se, who writes, I'm thinking about jong, a Korean concept that encompasses the affection, warmth, loyalty, and care one has for an individual or community. Koreans have jong for each other. Theologian Grace Ji-sun Kim says jong is essentially a sticky love, an interdependence and deep bond formed through a communal solidarity and hope our people survived horrific atrocities and overcame trauma inflicted by our oppressors through the power of our jong. We can't learn the power of jong without giving up status. We could try to appropriate it, keep our status and take the word or the idea, claim it for our own, put it on a t-shirt. But we can't learn it or practice it unless we give up status so that we will submit ourselves to the Korean women who can teach us about it. Without giving up status, we will never learn from black and Latino homies in Los Angeles. Their gang relationships and incarceration records would blind us to the witness they give to kinship that they form at Homeboy Industries. And Father Greg Boyle reminds us, the wrong ideas take taken root in the world. And the idea is this. There just might be some lives out there that matter less than other lives. The uprooting of that happens as we learn about kinship. The type of belonging that understands nothing of status. Father Greg reminds us that we inch ourselves closer to creating a community of kinship such that God might recognize it. Soon we imagine with God this circle of compassion. Then we imagine no one standing outside of that circle, moving ourselves closer to the margins so that the margins themselves will be erased. We stand there with those whose dignity has been denied. We locate ourselves with the poor and the powerless and the voiceless. At the edges, we join the easily despised and the readily left out. We stand with the demonized so that the demonizing will stop. We situate ourselves right next to the disposable so that the day will come when we stop throwing people away. We can learn jong or claim status, but not both. We can practice kinship or have status, but not both. We can have Jesus and the children and the women and people of color and the lost and the poor and the rejected and the hurt. And we can lean into the vulnerable truth that we need to be valued and value each other like the shepherd valued the lost sheep, like the vineyard owner valued the late arrival, like Jesus valued the child. I really think trying to be a little group that lives without status and instead practices valuing others, to be a church who loves without limits, who always keeps an open seat at the table. To be in short following Jesus together will be a great challenge. We will have to give up things that have kept us secure. We will have to set down armor. But I also believe that if we move in an ever-expanding circle towards those that Jesus has invited us to see, we will find him there waiting for us. Amen.